everyone, we continue our read-through of the New Testament. Today we begin our second-to-last book of the New Testament as we look at the letter of Jude. Now, Jude is most likely the half-brother of Jesus and the full brother of James, uh, who wrote another one of these epistles. And the letter of Jude is really important. Uh, Jude is writing primarily uh, in the area of Palestine. Uh, many have argued that he was an evangelist there in the Palestinian area. So he's writing primarily to Hebraic Christians, which explains his utilization of the Old Testament uh, very heavily throughout this letter. Uh, one of the issues is that, J- that Jude is writing for is that there are a number of individuals who have gained admission to the church who were perverting the grace of God and were in doing so denying uh, the Lord Jesus Christ through their uh, wicked living, right? They were practicing what's known as antinomianism, which is uh, this kind of lawlessness that was uh, permeated through sexual immorality, perversion, um, wickedness. He says that they defile the flesh, they reject authority. And, and what Jude is doing here is he's urging Christians to continue in godliness and love towards these people uh, while also reasoning with them regarding the faith and, and, and prayerfully seeking to sneech, snatch them out of the fires of judgment uh, if they continue to live in the lifestyle. So the, the call is to call them to repentance, to call them to repentance and faith in the Lord. And then Jude closes uh, this letter with one of the most beautiful doxologies, really, I, I would say, in all of Scripture. And so let's go ahead and, and read now. Uh, the letter, and we'll just kind of make comments throughout. So first, he gives us this little greeting in verses 1 and 2. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. So here, Jude identifies himself as a servant, a slave, a doulos of Jesus Christ. Notice he is the half-brother, but this reality of the fact that he is the Lord is his master. Jesus is his master. And so he gladly, just as James, his brother does, uh, refers to themselves as servants or slaves of Christ. And the letter is to those who are called. That picture of the, the effectual calling which comes through the Holy Spirit. They are beloved in God the Father. God has set his love upon them, his affection, which is the basis of their calling. And then there, the, the assurance that they are kept for Jesus Christ. And so they're being kept, they're preserving is on the basis that they are kept in salvation for their bridegroom, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful, beautiful description Jude gives uh, of the identity of the saints. We are those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. And these threefold mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. What a beautiful greeting and a great acknowledgement of who you are in Christ Jesus, the basis of your salvation, the basis of your present mercy, and the basis of your future grace, all found and wrapped up in this little greeting. You are called, you are beloved, and you are kept for Jesus Christ. Then he turns to the main issue of the letter. Verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. 
For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designed or designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Lord and Jesus Christ, our Master and Lord Jesus Christ. So here you get the main purpose, kind of the thesis statement for this letter. He says, first, I I was very eager to you to write about our common salvation. So perhaps he was just going to write a basic demonstration of the nature of their faith. What is the basis of their faith? Maybe he was going to write something similar to what we find in the letter to the Hebrews explaining to these Hebraic Christians, these Palestinian Christians, uh, how the Old Testament law pointed to Christ or or things like that, how Christ is the yes and amen of those covenantal promises. Uh, perhaps he was going to write something like that. Perhaps he was going to provide a kind of a, a, a mini or shorter version of the gospel. Maybe he was going to write something more Pauline, like an Ephesians or a Galatians, laying out the nature of faith in Christ. But nevertheless, because of these issues, because of these people who have crept in unnoticed, these people who are perverting the grace of God into sensuality and are in doing so denying the Master and Lord Jesus Christ, he has written to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So this is important, right? He is calling, writing to contend for the faith. And this is a, a really important word here, right? This, this word, apagonosathai, to contend, to defend, um, to struggle for, literally uh, to fight for the faith that was once and for all delivered. And, and this is so important because it's important that we have this faith that has been delivered. Notice uh, Jude does not say this faith that is continuing to be unfolded, this faith that I feel, this faith that I believe God is telling me. No, this faith that has been once and for all delivered to the saints and in the full revelation of Christ Jesus and the apostolic testimony. So many have believed that this was written probably later on uh, maybe eighty sixty five, even all the way out to eighty eighty, uh, that this is being written. That the the vast majority of of the scriptures and the witness of the apostles have been presented and put forward, and this is what Jude is referring to. The fullness of revelation has been given through the teaching of the apostles, uh, through their letters, um, and, and and perhaps even just uh, as they are being canonized or being written down. And so this apostolic teaching is what he has in mind here. And these individuals are creeping away from that. They are teaching against that. And they are seeking to pervert the grace of God. This is that antinomianism, right? That, that, that issue that Paul dealt with in Romans 6. Shall we sin that grace may abound? No, may it never be, right? And that's the picture here. These individuals are looking at the grace of God and saying, oh, because he will save us no matter what, because he's given us grace, we can live, therefore, however we want. And they have crept and, and used this as an opportunity for the flesh as opposed to live for the glory of the Lord. Verse 5, Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. 
and the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desires, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also relying on their dreams defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walk in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reeves at your love festival as they feast with you without fear. Shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, while waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. So we'll stop there for now. So what was what's going on here these are now descriptions of these false teachers and he is now warning them of the realities of how they are following suit with those who have already been judged by god in redemptive history right so first and foremost remember he now looks to 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 how the the exodus account where notice what he says here that jesus saved the people out of the land of egypt that's very powerful now yes there is a um, uh, a variation there, but nevertheless, the, the, I believe the, the majority reading here and the earlier reading of Jesus is the proper one. It is Jesus that saved the people out of the land of Egypt and destroyed those who did not believe, right? So this is the first thing. Here's the Exodus account. The Lord destroyed those who refused to believe and thus to rebel against him. Then he goes all the way back to the beginning of creation and the angels who once again did not stay within their position of authority, but rebelled, right? So you have here now another example of rebellion. And then a final example of rebellion with Sodom and Gomorrah, who indulged in sexual morality and pursued unnatural desires, all of these serving as an example of undergoing a punishment by fire. What is their problem? They are all rebels, right? They have all rebelled, rebelled against God, and left their proper place. And these individuals are doing the same. In like manner, he says, these are those who do not rely on that once and for all delivered faith, but appeal to their dreams. And in doing so, they reject the authority of apostolic teaching and they blaspheme the glorious ones. And that's a picture there of how the angels throughout scripture are seen as protectors of God's law. And so they are, they are blaspheming the word of God by undermining the commands of scripture. And so he uses this example from the assumption of Moses here, this, this common story which would have been well known by a number of these Jewish believers and these Jewish Christians primarily, that they would have heard this story about the disputation between Michael and the devil and the body of Moses. And he talks about here how in the midst of that, Michael does not use his own authority, but rather appeals to the authority of the Lord to blaspheme Satan. And these individuals, however, are appealing to their own authority. And in doing so, they show themselves to be fools, beasts, unreasoning animals, 
only understanding things instinctively as opposed to reckoning upon the word of God and, and only going as far as the Lord of God. The Lord God speaks in his revelation, his once and for all delivered revelation. Right, And he says, they walked in the way of Cain. Once again, now he gives us another example, three more examples of rebellion. They walk in the way of Cain and abandon themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. So the way of Cain, right, walking in this way of, 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 of murder, right? They come under the guise of worship, but their heart isn't right. You know, Balaam's error, they seek to lead others astray the way Balaam did, by seeking to lead Israel into uh, wicked relations with the Moabite women. And then Korah's rebellion, those who rose up against the leaders of God, uh, the, the spiritual leaders of God, the way Korah did with Moses. So more examples of this. They are hidden reefs at your love's feast. They feast with you without fear. Shepherds who feed themselves, so they're not real shepherds. They don't take care of the sheep. They only take care of themselves. Waterless clouds, meaning they promise everything, but they offer nothing. They're swept along by the winds. They're not rooted in any kind of scripture. Fruitless trees in late autumn. They, 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 they've offered hope throughout, but they have nothing to give you as you prepare for the winter. They're, they, they, they're, they, the substance they offer, or the, excuse me, I should say, the substance they don't offer leaves you empty in times of darkness, in times of, of winter, in times of despair. They have nothing which they can offer you. They are twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up foam of their own shame. So everything they do, it, 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 it ends up coming to the surface. The, the, the wickedness that they try to propose and they, they try to put forth will always rise to the surface as empty nothings, but it will be made seen. They are wandering stars. They have no trajectory, no final goal. They, they do not have the glory of God as their final goal. And they have, and, that, and as such, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved for them forever because they are living a life of a trajectory away from God. Everything about them is that of rebellion, and rebellion leads to destruction. Verse 14, it was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy one to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own simple desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. So here, once again, he closes up, right? These are in the individuals that he talks about here. Now, from the book of Enoch, he's quoting from here. And you may say, well, how in the world can he quote from these extra-canonical books? Well, he can quote from them when they, they teach a truth, a, a concept of truth that was believed by within Jewish mythology that is actually attested to in biblical scripture. So by merely quoting the book of Enoch, he is not saying that everything about the book of Enoch is absolutely truth and truthful and inerrant, just the same way that Paul quoting Roman poets and Stoic philosophers is in no way saying everything they are saying is true. He simply quotes a specific and individual statement that does find and is rooted in truth that is confirmed by biblical authority. Right, We do know the Lord will come with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all the ungodly. And these are those, these individuals are among that crowd if they do not repent and turn 
from their wicked ways. Verse 17, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, In the last time there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. So here he gets to basically the final call, the point of application, right? You remember that all of this this wickedness, this waywardness, people who are promoting false teaching and, and trying to hide under the radar of Christianity and using it as a way to um, push in their false agendas and wicked agendas. This was prophesied. God made it absolutely clear that this is how things would be throughout this present evil age. These are the reasons for worldliness. These are the reasons for division is because these individuals are devoid of the Spirit. And so we shouldn't be shocked by that. But we are called to be different, right? We are called to build ourselves up in the most holy faith, practicing those spiritual disciplines that the Lord has given to us in Scripture. We are to be praying. We are to keep ourselves in the love of God. And in a moment, you'll see the, the great promise that we have because that seems hard. How are we going to do that, right? If angels could fall away, how in the world can we possibly keep ourselves in the love of God? And, and the answer is, is that we do it by setting our eyes upon Christ and knowing that it is God who is keeping us, God who is working in us. In the meantime, right, we are to have mercy on those who doubt. That is to say, we are to work with those, be patient with them, seek to help them by contending for the faith, by standing on the word, by praying for them daily, and by being patient and gentle in our relationships as we, as we lovingly seek to care them for the Lord. Others, we need to be a bit more maybe abrasive at times. There may be others who are in a lifestyle that whether it's through church discipline, through other means of reconciliation, of seeking to be very clear that the life that they are following is leading to destruction, finding out whatever possible way we can to try to snatch them out of that lest they lead a life of wickedness and ultimately show themselves to be uh, in opposition to the Lord. We are to hate anything, right, that, that would seek to lead us or anyone else astray from the Lord. And now this closing doxology, this beautiful closing to the book. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless for the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. What a beautiful doxology. In the midst of all of these pictures of rebellion and this call to keep yourself in the love of God, Jude gives this beautiful picture of confidence for every single believer to have. It is God who keeps you. It is God who keeps you from stumbling. It is God who presents you blameless through Jesus Christ. It is the Lord who is at work and for his glory, for his majesty, for his dominion, for his authority, he will keep you. He will preserve you. He will present you blameless. It is his doing, start and finish. So your perseverance, your call to, to be disciplined in the faith, to buckle down, to call out wickedness, to contend for the faith is all built upon the basis and the confidence that God will keep you. God will contend for you. God will not let you go. And he has authority before all time, now and forever. 
He will keep you. He will be faithful to complete what he began in you. God is faithful, so let us be faithful to him, contending for the faith day by day, especially as those seek to continue to enter the fold and to bring corruption. These false teachers, these wolves in sheep's clothing, as they continue to grow in number, may we continue to be discerning sons and daughters of Issachar, those who understand the times and who are able to stand firm on the once and for all delivered faith of God's word, the all-inspired word of God, which will lead us into all paths of righteousness as we let it daily guide us, knowing that every step of the way, it is God who keeps us.